On our bicycle trip, we uh, stayed mostly in RV parks. We had an RV with us to sleep in and and so all the way down. But occasionally we stayed in some homes. And one of the places we stayed in, in the L.A. area was a friend of mine. His name is Paul White. He's a mortician. And he does seminars periodically a couple times a year for pastors in the greater L.A. area. And he does them on a number of things. I've gone down there twice and taught the seminar for him. And so we've become good friends. And he and I were kind of hanging out a little bit. And he said, can I ask you a personal question? I said, sure. He said, have you done any planning for your funeral? You know, when you die, that service? I says, uh, well, no, I thought I'd leave that to everybody who was still alive. He said, you can, but he said, it's nice if you do some planning on your own beforehand so they kind of know what you want. And I said, okay. Well, it got me to thinking. And I thought, well, you know, I think I will write my sermon for my service when I die. Now, if you're coming to my service, it's going to be long. Because I'm really getting into this sermon writing thing. I'm, and I'm getting really excited. I'm having a good time with it. And I've started thinking some creative ideas about what I can do during the service. And one of them is I thought that whoever's reading it, all of a sudden there would be this interruption. And it would be uh, with Charlton Heston's voice. And I'd say, hey, this is D from heaven. I'm watching you. And by the way, you don't recognize my voice, do you? It's because i got my glorified body. <laughs> and it's cool up here. Hope you get to come. Something like that. Wouldn't that be great, huh? I, you know, I'm just getting sort of, you'll want to come because it's going to be fun, uh, my funeral service. Um, so that's a question. I'm going. And uh, one of the questions people ask is, how do you get there? And uh, we teach that here. You've probably heard it. And you believe, you trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. No works required. So I want to read a passage this morning, First Peter 3.20. The patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water, through the flood. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Now those are the four words we're going to look at this morning. Baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. Now, there are people who will take that verse and they will say, if you're not baptized, you're not going to heaven. It's called baptismal regeneration is the technical term. And so we don't teach that here. You're saved by faith, faith alone, no works required. Well, what about that statement? It says baptism now saves you. Well, Somebody this morning in prayer said, you know, when I read your blog on your trip, I thought I was reading. I don't want to offend anybody, but this was him. I'll tell you who it is if you want to know later. But he said, I thought you were a woman. Why did you think that? Well, because you kept changing your mind. (laughs) One day you're going, next day you're not. One day you're going. And I I said, yeah, that's kind of not only my wife does that, but old guys do that too. And... uh, But I say now, I can do it. I can do it. While on the trip, I reached up in the cupboard and got out a can of beans regularly to eat for dinner. A can of beans. If you have a job and I say, how's your job going? Well, not so good. I got canned. Really? That's too bad. How long did you last? Half a day. 
Wow, you must have been really bad. Yeah, you got canned. Uh, if you go fishing out in the ocean, you ask the skipper, hey, I have to go to the bathroom. He said, the can is up there. So I can, I can ride another bicycle trip. I can do it. I'll get a can of beans. You get canned from your job. You're going to go to the bathroom in the can. How do you know how can is defined? Well, the context. One word, three letters, has multiple meanings. Now, the word save in the Bible has multiple meanings. And you can't just take it for one every place you read it. There's a a number of meanings. Let me give you three this morning. You've heard me. I've taught on this a bunch over the years, but it's always something good to know. Number one, the word save is used three ways in the New Testament. Three ways in the New Testament. It's pretty easy to remember if you'll get it when I give it to you. Number two, we have been saved from the penalty of sin, which is eternity in hell. Theological term for the salvation is redemption or justification. That's the one we usually associate with the word save. When we read it in the New Testament, we look at the word save and we think it always means this definition. So when I was 13, I went to summer camp, Fur Point, down in uh, southern Oregon. There was a speaker named Glenn Goddard and he spoke and I got saved. I got saved. Uh, there was an invitation given. They had a big bonfire and a bunch of pine cones. And you reached up, got the pine cone, threw it in the fire. And you committed your life to Jesus. You accepted him as your personal savior. You believed that you couldn't get there on your own. And you accepted the free gift of salvation. I was saved. I was redeemed. I was justified. I was saved from the penalty of sin, which is hell. That's one way the word is used often in the New Testament. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, that is, go to hell, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved, saved through him. That is, they're saved from the penalty of sin. They don't have to go to hell. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Number three, we will be saved from the presence of sin when we enter heaven. The illogical term for this salvation is glorification. Now that's over here. That's going to happen to me when I'm 88. (laughs) I'm going to be on a bicycle trip and some dude's not paying attention on the cell phone. He's going to run right over me. And you're going to get news. Pastor D died on his bicycle trip. Well, then we'll have the service and you can hear my sermon that I'm going (laughs) to. So... Now, I'm saved. The Bible uses that word saved the day we enter heaven. We're not saved from the, we're saved from the presence of sin. Salvation is always from sin. Saved from the penalty of sin. Saved from the presence of sin. Notice they start with P. That's to help you memorize. Remember. Uh, that'll happen to most. Number four, we are in the process of being saved from the power of sin. We are in the process of being saved from the power of sin. The theological word for this salvation is sanctification. So, I'm saved from the penalty of sin here when I trusted Jesus as my personal Savior. I'm saved from the presence of sin the day I die or Jesus returns. And uh, between those two points, there's a process. Uh, it's like being born physically and, and then getting old physically. You grow, you grow, and you are saved from the power of sin over your life. By the way, the word save in the New Testament is used most often for this middle uh, definition of being saved from the power of sin. 1 Timothy 4.16. Paul's writing to Timothy who is 
a pastor. He's trained him. He's pastoring the church of Ephesus. He says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. Work hard. Become a great preacher. For as you do this, you will ensure, guarantee salvation. Both for yourself and for those who hear you. Timothy's a believer already. So why would Paul say he guarantees salvation? Well, he's not talking about the penalty of sin. He's not talking about the presence of sin. He's talking about the power of sin. You will be saved from the power of sin because of your great preaching. And everybody who listens to you will as well. That's a great verse. I, I, I memorize it. I think about it all the time. Philippians 2.12. So then, my beloved, let us, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation. Work. Do we work for our salvation? No. So what's it mean? It means if you're going to grow, it's going to take some work. It's going to take some diligence. It's going to take some self-control. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So 1 Peter 3.20 again. The patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Are we talking about this salvation? Only if I hold you down too long. (laughs) I'd say, whoops, should have brought him up sooner. (laughs) Oh, well, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. (laughs) Is it this one? No, we're not saved by works. So baptism saves you. That is, is a key part. Number five, baptism is a very important part of our overcoming the power of sin in our life. Very, very important part of the whole process of growing and gaining victory over sin running your life. On the trip, we were watching the NBA playoffs in the evening. And they finally finished, and Denver won the championship. And in one of the games, I forget now, there was one of the players. They were down by two points, and there was a second left, and he shoots a three-pointer. If he makes it, they win. If they don't, he loses. He missed. Thousands of people all over the world saw that guy miss that three-pointer. How did he feel? Like a loser. Because that's exactly what he was. A loser. He lost. You ever sin? I do. I have a goal. I have at least one day before I die where I don't sin. I haven't made it yet, but I'm working on it. What do you feel like when you sin? And Oh, no. Not, I'm, I've confessed this one 10,000 times. Lord, are you getting tired of this? Yeah, you just, you feel like a loser? I do. Not again. Number six, we are saved from the penalty of sin by grace through faith, no works required. When we're saved from the penalty of sin, we're saved by grace through faith, no works required. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. No works required, none. Romans 3, 27, for where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No. But by a law of faith, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. 
Galatians 2.16, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. We're saved by faith, by grace through faith. No works required. Over here we're saved by cancer. That is, we are in God's presence. No sin, no place. We're saved from the presence. But in between, God wants us to grow. And we're very responsible for that, to make that happen. Number seven, we can sin if we want to, but we really don't want to. You don't have to be good. Not a requirement. But when you got saved, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you, and there's in us this desire. Oh, and we... Oh, I get so frustrated sometimes, feel like a loser. Not again. I did it again. Our problem is that even though we don't want to sin, we sin anyway. That seems puzzling, doesn't it? Paul wrote about it for, for his, in his own life. Romans seven fifteen. For that which I am doing, I do not understand. I'm not practicing what I'd like to do. I'm doing the very thing I hate. Romans 7, 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. Number nine, our flesh, the world, the devil, makes sinning easy. Righteousness, very hard. Somebody said this morning, wow, that must have been a really hard trip. I said, parts of it. But parts of it were easy. What part is that? Well, we're going downhill. Downhill. I got up to 46 miles an hour this year. That's a new record. Going downhill. You hang on. I got a little computer in my bike, and I don't look down at the speedometer because I'm looking ahead. And uh, But when you get to the bottom, you can push this little button, and it'll tell you what your top speed was. 46.2 miles an hour. Whoa. That's moving. I don't pedal. Just hang on. It's easy. But going up to 6% grade, 8% grade, temper, boy, that is tough. It's hard. He's going, <laughs> when I pass somebody or they pass me, they say, wow, you sound like a locomotive. <laughs> Living holy, righteous lives is hard. It's very hard. First John 2.15, do not love the world nor the things in the world. I used to have five boats. Now I have four. I gave one away. I've got 25, at least, fishing rods. Man, I've got so much stuff. That's unreal. Do not love the world nor the things. And so many times I read that and I thought, oh, I wish God would just say, yes, you do, no, you don't. So I knew if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all, the world, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world. James 4, 4, you adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 1 Peter 5, 8, be of sober spirit, sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's you. That's you. 2 Corinthians 11, 3, I am afraid, this was a, Paul, as a pastor, talking, writing to those in, uh, that he had led to Christ, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds should be led astray from simplicity and purity, devotion to Christ. 
1 John 5, 19, we know that we are of God. The whole world lies in the power, the evil one, the devil. Number 10, becoming more and more righteous as a person is a tough uphill battle. It takes diligence. It takes self-control. It takes accountability. uh, It takes a variety of things. That's why some people become more holy, more righteous as they live their life and others get into a plateau and they never grow much because they don't want to put in uh, the work, the effort, the discipline, Bible reading, prayer, accountability to people in the church. Number 11, baptism is a major key in overcoming the power of sin in our life. Baptism is a major, major, major key. How do I know that? First Peter 3.21, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Saves you from the power of sin. It's a key part of that process. Mark 16, 16. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. Acts twenty two sixteen. Now why do you delay? Arise, be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. Romans 6, 3 through 4. Do you not know? When Paul says that, that means this is important stuff. Get it. Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk, live in newness of life. Newness of life. So how does it do that? Baptism. What, what is it? I uh, wrote in my blog on my bicycle trip as I was bouncing back and forth between, yes, I am, no, I'm not, yes, I am, oh, this is so hard, I'm so wimpy, I'm so old, I got so many pain, I'm not going to ride, yeah, I can do it, I can do it. The problem is not with my body, it's in my head. It's in my head. When you live a righteous, holy life, it's, it's we don't think very well uh, about things. Number 12, We don't think we can overcome sin. A number of years ago, I went fishing with a friend in the church, and we hiked into this lake that was supposed to be overflowing with fish. This fish is going to jump in your boat. And so that's what he told me. We got up there with a rubber raft, he and I in this little rubber raft. I remember I was so cramped. And we trolled. We put some lines out, a couple little flat fish, and we, he rowed that boat around and around and around and around that lake. We caught one fish. Right off the bat. Never caught another fish all day long. So when we caught the one fish, we didn't have anything to put him in. We didn't want him to get, uh, you know, dried out and everything. So he took a piece of fishing line, monofilament fishing line, put it in the fish's mouth. It came out as gill, and he tied a knot in it, put the fish overboard, then he tied it onto the oarlock. And all day long, he rode the boat, and that fish was right there in the water. Now, when we got ready to come home, we pulled up to the bank. He got a hold of the monofilament line, and he pulled it in. There's no fish on it. But the fish is there. Why is he there and not on the line? Well, if you're getting pulled around by a piece of monofilament line in your gills, it kind of hurts. And so what you do is you cooperate a little bit. You just kind of stay ahead of it so it doesn't hurt. And the line worked itself out. Well, the dumb fish didn't know he was free. He's following our boat wherever we go. We trained him. Yeah, you can train fish. I didn't know that before. So we were going to catch him with our hands. Well, he's, and all of a sudden, 
He discovered that he was free, and he swam away. So, before you became a believer in Jesus, you sinned a lot. We could compare. How many times did you sin? Oh, million, two hundred thousand. I got you beat. You know what happens when you sin a lot? You get trained by it. Then we get saved, we get set free from the power of sin, but we don't know it. We don't know it. We're just following that boat along. Where it goes, we go. And man, I can't. I can't be holy. I can't be righteous. I just can't do it. It's in our brain. So baptism, it's a picture. It's a story, as it were. We go under the water. We're dyed with Jesus, our old self. We come out of the water. We're resurrected to newness of life. And we are set free from the power of sin. It no longer is our master, the controller of our life. And we don't know it. But baptism is designed be a ceremony in which it gets and you review it and you go over it and you go over it Romans 6 3 don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death it's a picture Romans 6 11 even so consider yourselves consider yourselves to be dead to sin Alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Sin shall not be master over you. You are not under law, but under grace. So, I go through a little ritual when I sin. I confess it. I said, Lord, I did it. I'm sorry. And then I say, I didn't have to. And I don't want to. I want a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus said, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. I've died to sin. And I can be holy because you have given me your power. Lord, grant me your power so that I can please you in all that I do. So... Let's shift gears a minute and talk about Jesus' baptism. Did he get baptized because he had a sin problem? No. So the other issue with baptism is you're not only being set free from the power of sin, acting that out, but you're also declaring Jesus Christ Lord of your life, Master King. When you go under the water, you died. You're no longer in charge of you. You come out of the water, you're resurrected to newness of life. Jesus is now King, Master, Lord of your life. He's in charge. And you're publicly declaring that. And every day you remember that. I died to me being boss. I resurrected to Jesus being Lord. I died to the power of sin in my life when I baptized. So let's look at Jesus' baptism. 13, Jesus is God. Always has been, always will be. First John 1 John 1.1, or excuse me, John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. 14, Jesus emptied himself of all that he was as God and became a human just like me. He was born into the world as a little bitty baby. Did you know that when Jesus was born as a little bitty baby, he had no awareness, zero, that he was God? He had no awareness of where he came from, who his father was? He just was a baby. He thought like a baby, felt like a baby. He was a baby. 
with all the limitations of a baby. Philippians 2.6, For although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 15, as most humans do, Jesus grew. He grew. So he didn't know that he was the son of God when he was born. Somewhere along the the way, as he grew, he became aware of who he was, where he came from, and he became aware of what the future held for him. We don't know when, but there are signs in the New Testament uh, that he knew at various points. Luke 2.40, the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom. Increasing in wisdom. This is God in human form, growing in wisdom. Luke 2.52, Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature, favor with God and men. Hebrews 2.10, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. That's Jesus. God perfected Jesus. What does that mean? It means he developed his character. He was perfected in character through sufferings in life, just like we are. 16, Jesus grew in his understanding of who he was, where he came from, and what his mission was. He began to know that as he grew, and it shows up in his teaching as he declares who he is in his relationship with the Father. He grew in his understanding of who he was, what his mission was, everything that was happening Luke 2.45, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple. This was when Jesus was a little boy. Sitting in the midst of the teachers who both listening to and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, why is it that you are looking? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Where did that come from? We don't know, but it did. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, from that point, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed, raised up on the third day. Jesus knew at some point that information, he was fully cognizant of it. He knew what the future held. 17, Jesus fully understood the plan to save mankind from their sins while he was in heaven before his birth as a baby. So, don't know exactly how the conversation went, but before there were any angels, any atoms, any stars, everything's been created except the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there was a time in which that's all there was. And at that point, it's called the beginning before the foundation of the world. They decided to increase the family, as it were, and came up with a plan through the ages plan was to create people in the image and likeness of God that could live with him forever. problem was, oh, we're going to give them free will so they can choose to love us or not. Uh-uh, they're going to mess up. How are we going to fix that one? So they come up with the plan of redemption, the plan of salvation, the plan of justification. And so the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus is going to be the one that leaves heaven, becomes a person. He had to say, I will. I'll do it. Now, 
I wonder how hard that was as God in heaven, knowing what was coming to say, I'll do it. And the cross, knowing that as he was hanging there, all of our sins were put on Jesus. Every one of them, even the little ones and the big ones. He felt the shame of that sin. He felt the guilt of that sin. And the father turned his back on Jesus because of that sin, said to him, oh, poured out his wrath. Jesus knew all that, but he still came for us. First Peter 1 Peter 1.18 Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished, spotless, the blood of Christ. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, before the foundation, before anything existed. The plan was developed and Jesus knew. Now he comes into heaven, I mean, excuse me, comes into earth as a baby, doesn't know. But as he grows, he did. His communion with the Father, he becomes fully aware. 18, Jesus willingly left heaven to carry out the plan of salvation. He willingly left heaven, became like us, born as a baby, went through what he went through, died on a cross. He willingly did that because he wants us to be with him forever. Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life, he came to give his life. He came knowing He chose to do that. 19, Jesus also needed to willingly submit to the plan of salvation as a man. When he got to the point that he understood the whole plan, he'd say, oh, this isn't going to be fun, but I'll do it. John 3.16, we know love by this, 1 John 3.16, that he laid down his life for us. He willingly knowing what was happened, laid down his life for us. Jesus officially submitted to the plan that saved us when he was baptized. So when Jesus went to John, and John said, no, 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 no. Jesus said, yep, it's important that I do. He was declaring when he went under the water, not my will as a man, it's the will of the Father. He submitted to that when he was baptized. Matthew 3.13, Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus answering said to him, permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. It is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him, and after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water. Behold, the heavens were opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove coming upon him. That's when Jesus' ministry began, when he started preaching and teaching, calling, when he said, I'll do it. When he was baptized, he declared that. Luke twenty two forty one. he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus basically redid that commitment. He knelt down, began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Let's find another way. I really don't want to do this. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. 21, when we choose to be baptized, we are officially submitting to Jesus as Lord of our life. Not my will, but yours be done. And we're declaring that publicly to everyone that's there. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is Lord, Master, King of my life. Philippians 2, 9. Therefore also God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. 
of those in heaven, on earth, under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 22, uh, when we choose to be baptized, we are officially submitting to Jesus as Lord of our life, and we are then given the title of disciple. We're then given the title of disciple. You probably can't see it from there, but I have a ring on my finger. It's been on there for 54 years, and I can't hardly get it off anymore. What's that mean? It means I'm married. I'm married. What's that mean? That means that way back in 1969 of August, I walked up an aisle, and Patty did, and we went up, and I said vows. She said vows, and I said I will. She said I will. We signed a paper, and we had a ceremony called a marriage, and because of that ceremony... We're officially husband and wife joined together by ceremony. <clears throat> Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you know, I have people regularly say to me, you know, I'm a disciple. Cool. When were you baptized? Oh, I didn't get baptized. So... You mean, you weren't baptized, but you're a disciple? Well, you don't need to be baptized to be a disciple. So, who writes the rules? You or God? Who writes the rules? We don't decide. God does. And he clearly, in his word, says, you're going to be my disciple. It's like getting married. I'm married. I can show you the day. I can show you the pictures. I can show you the ring. I can show you the license. It was a ceremony. And from that point on, we're officially married. God loves ceremony. And he's declared that baptism is a ceremony in which you're publicly declaring that you're dead and I'm alive in you and I'm Lord of your life. 23, a disciple is a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Fully devoted follower of Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. What he says you do, where he goes you go. What he has for you as a plan you submit to. Mark 6, 1, he went out from there and came into his hometown. His disciples followed him. Matthew sixteen twenty four. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Follow me. Matthew 9, 9, Jesus, as Jesus passed from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax office. He said to him, follow me, follow me. 24, disciple of Jesus is devoted to his word. That's where we get to know him. That's how we discover his will, his word. We're devoted to it because we are a follower of Jesus. John 8, 31, Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide, if, notice the word if, if you abide in me, my word, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Truly disciples of mine. 25, those who are disciples of Jesus will accomplish something with their life that matters. Because God uses his disciples. He works through his disciples. He gives them something to do that matters. John fifteen eight. by this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit, bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. You're not saved by good works, but you're Serving Jesus as his disciple, you do good works, which he gives you to do. 26, Jesus does his work in the world through his disciples. He does his work in the world through his disciples. Matthew 4, 19, he said to them, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. 
Matthew 14, 17, they said to him, we have here only five loaves, two fish. He said, bring them here to me, ordering the multitudes to recline in the grass. He took the five loaves, the two fish, looking up toward heaven. He blessed the food, breaking the loaves. He gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. That's what Jesus does through his disciples. 27 disciples have a special relationship with Jesus. Special relationship with Jesus. I have a t-shirt. I love it. It says, God loves everybody, but I'm his favorite. Uh, I wear that sometimes fishing. People look at it and say, really? But it says in the Bible. Matthew 12, 48, he answered the one who was telling him and said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand toward his disciples said, there they are, my mother, my brothers, my disciples. Special relationship with his disciples. 28, disciples are given power. By God to live, grow, and serve him. Power. That's the key to overcoming sin, his power. That's the key to doing something with your life that matters, his power. God gives strength. God gives power. Not just to anybody. To his disciples. 29, the biblical method of baptism is by immersion. Immersion is the Greek word baptizo. When I was dating my wife in college, I mean, she was a knockout. Whoa, she was gorgeous. And I didn't like being away from her. She was, oh, I just loved her so much. So I said, would you give me a picture, you know, so that every, I, I can just look at it and be reminded of it? She said, sure. Here's, a, here's a, the picture she gave me. <laughs> Last night, everybody groaned. <laughs> he said, that's not Patty. I didn't say that was Patty. I said, that's a picture. So what's it matter? What's on the picture? Not Patty anyway, so any picture will work. No, dummy. A picture is supposed to look like what you want to remember. It's supposed to be, you know, a picture that's like what's important. I have people say to me, you know, it doesn't matter if you're sprinkled. It doesn't matter if you're just poor. It doesn't, none of that really matters. It's just a thought that counts. Baptism is a picture, God's picture. It's a picture of being buried, resurrected to newness of life. Pictures matter. They need to look like what they represent. It's the picture that saves us, that is, saves us from the power of sin in our life. Rome, uh, Revelation, I'm going to jump down to uh, uh, Romans 6, 3. Do you not know that, the, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death. And when we're resurrected, we're resurrected to newness of life. 30. Baptism saves you. Not redemption. Not glorification. Sanctification. You're baptized. You declare Jesus as Lord, Master, King of my life. And that picture... You remember it. I don't have to sin. I died to sin. I've been resurrected to newness of life. And so when I sin, I remind myself, Jesus is Lord of my life. Every morning I declare that. You are Lord of my life. I want, I want, I want, I want more than anything else to be holy and righteous every day more so like you. I can. I can. I have his power in me. I'm free from sin. And so, you know... We can choose to do whatever we want. 
But God has provided the plan and the way. You get to heaven his way. You go to glory his time. And during life, you live victoriously by his plan. And a key part of that plan is baptism. And if you haven't been baptized as a believer by immersion, um, you didn't make the rules. God did. This afternoon, 1 o'clock, there's a class. And uh, it would be great if you haven't been to choose to sit in that class and to be baptized. I wouldn't wait any longer, personally. It's God's plan. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you have always planned everything. And you planned our salvation. You planned our life. You love us. You created us. Lord Jesus, you came into this life as a man. You lived and died. And you provided us everything that we need. Thank you, Lord, that you are Lord, Master, King of my life. And I know that you have a plan, and I submit to that plan every day. And I ask for your power and your strength to grow every day, to be more like you. Thank you. I look forward to the day I stand before you and hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.